Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. After you've reached the pinnacle of your sport, what comes next? I'm Jamil Smith, and I'm your host for Vox Conversations. Chris Bosch was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame back in September, and most of the men and women who joined him are older than Chris Bosch. Most of his fellow inductees were in their 40s and 50s, and some, like the great Bill Russell, are much older. Bosch, though, he retired when he was only 34. He did play for a good while, 13 seasons, seven for the Toronto Raptors, which drafted him fourth overall after his freshman season at Georgia Tech, then six with the Miami Heat, where he won two NBA championships alongside LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. Bosch accomplished a lot, winning an Olympic gold medal, becoming an 11-time NBA All-Star, and establishing himself as one of the most dominant frontcourt players of his era. But a blood clotting condition plagued his final seasons in the NBA, and eventually ended his career in 2019. He addressed that premature ending in his Hall of Fame induction speech, talking about what he learned from everyone, from the late Kobe Bryant to his wife, Adrian. Putting in those long days and late nights, fighting that feeling that everything could come crashing down in one moment. And unfortunately for me, it did. After finally making it to the mountaintop, with so much more to do in my mind, so much more to prove, suddenly it all stopped. But in going through those crossroads, I eventually came to realize that we all have it in our power to make the most out of every day, despite what happens, to turn setbacks into strengths. Because in a way, that's the lesson I've been learning my whole life. It's what I learned from Kobe at the Olympics. It's what Adrian reminded me of after that visit to the doctor. And you know what? It's come true. It's clear that Chris Bosch, who's only now 37, still has a lot left to do. He's been making music, TV, and other media. And earlier this year, he published a book, Letters to a Young Athlete. In it, Bosch offers the kind of direct advice and guidance from which future legends will surely benefit. But why would a retired Hall of Famer be inclined to reach out and offer his counsel to young players? It can't be just because he was one of them, right? I mean, when you have it all, what compels you to give back? Here's our conversation from this past July.
Chris, I actually was at the draft when you were drafted. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I see, I'm from Cleveland, born and raised. And so I said, well, if I have an opportunity to go see LeBron get drafted by the Cavs, I'm going to go see yeah, him. Yeah, for sure. You were only 19 at the time. I can imagine what was going through your head. You know, it all happened really fast. And, and you know, just in hindsight, looking back at my career, it was crazy because I have a picture from our state champion, national championship team in 2002. And, you know, we were just guys out of a certain particular part of town just trying to play basketball, reach our dreams and be a team. And I look at that picture and then it hit me like, wow, from graduating high school, 14, 15 months later, I was walking across the stage in Madison Square Garden Theater getting drafted. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. just looking back on it, it's crazy. At the time, it was what I wanted. Everything was lining up the way I wanted it to. I always aspired to be in the league. I wanted to play basketball like my heroes and get drafted, be a high draft pick, all that stuff. And and it was just materializing. And And so that particular night went from, okay, it's fun, it's fun, it's fun. And then when Toronto got on the clock, that's when it hit me. Like my nerves just got bad all of a sudden, you know. But we we made it through, man. <laughs> yes, you did. So you nineteen, you're going to a foreign country from Dallas, Texas. Yeah. And I'm just curious, man. I mean, what were the biggest things you had to adjust to? Had you had a job before this? Yeah, I had jobs. My first job was Blockbuster. Uh, I worked at Blockbuster Video for a summer. And into the school year a little bit. And I worked at a place called Smoothie Factory. There you go. Out in Texas, in Louisville, Texas, actually. And then um, I had another job, like being a counselor. And we would go to like apartments and, you know what I mean, Um, summer camps and stuff like that. And just kind of we had this program. It was called Steps, Skills to Empower People Socially. Uh And so those are my jobs. The NBA was my fourth job, man. Wow. Wow. Quite, <laughs> quite the resume. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. But, uh, so, I mean, of course, when you get there, I'm, I'm sure that there's guys there who are there to, you know, not only show you the ropes, but, you know, really show you how to, you know, behave in that job when you come to work. I mean, yeah, I know that when I was coming up, like, you know, when you think about a job that you've idolized, you mm-hmm. know, and then you actually get to do it. I've had a little bit of experience with this the perks and things start to get a little bit more. Well, you start to look at them in a different light. You know, I can imagine like thinking about, okay, this is going to be really great when I get to do this or when I get to get all this gear or when I get to like, you know, (laughs) hear the crowd roaring and it's like, wait a minute, this is, this is a job. Wait a hold up. No one told me that. Those things catch (laughs) up with you later. Gear. Oh man. As soon as you enter the draft, really, as soon as you declare for the draft, I mean, inundated with gear, more shoes than you've ever seen in your life. And now they're yours, more clothes than you've ever seen in your life. It's yours. People are asking you things and bringing you places, you know, steak dinner at Morton's and Ruth's Chris, you know, discovering that world. And that's like, yo, it's crazy. (laughs) Step up from that smoothie joint. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was just at the smoothie factory. You know, it's crazy. Now we're all the way, we're in Morton's every night. I would say, yeah, you come in bright eyed and bushy tailed. The preseason is okay. Training camp is, is tough, but then the season comes. And when the beginning of the season comes, that's fun. But after about that first month, 
It's like, okay, you have that moment of, oh, I'm not in Kansas anymore. And you've had a lot of them, but a 82 game schedule, being on the road, being in the true north, being in freezing temperatures, mm-hmm. you know, we were all on top of each other in our apartments. It was four of us in a room and it was four other of our teammates downstairs. And then right next door at the apartment buildings, that's where the other half of the team stayed, you know, so we were very close. Right. Yeah, you realize you're in a different world. It's the NBA. It's a traveling show, and you've got to perform. <laughs> <laughs> well, with regards to performance, people think, especially us fans, of performance being almost exclusively physical, right? And one of the things I really liked in your book, how, first of all, how early you talked about cultivating the mind, but also that you spoke about it as if it's is important or even more so than doing your reps, It is. And, you know, I don't want to get into a thing where it's like one is more important than another, but it's important to be able to exercise the mind. I mean, it's always funny when I encounter people and and it's like, have you ever heard anybody like talk about an intelligent athlete? It's like a surprise. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, they're smart. (laughs) Wait a minute. An athlete that enunciates? Wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah. You know, it's necessary. You've got to be smart. And I've had my own challenges with just dealing, you know, with that perception. But at the same time, it's what requires it, because not only if you're trying to be the best at something or if you're trying to attain a goal, it's going to be many different goals or obstacles, rather, that you didn't even see coming that you're going to have to encounter and get around. Right. You have to be intelligent. And I've just found out reading, painting, doing music, doing other mediums, things that you enjoy, it adds to that mental strength, to cultivating that mind to be able to take information in and process it. And I say this with compassion because I was one, but you were kind of a nerd, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, a secret nerd. You know what I'm saying? Nobody knew I had to. It was like having two uh, secret identities because Uh, I went to school in Dallas, Texas, uh, the sunny south side, south Dallas, and it's a certain particular part of the area where, yeah, it's not necessarily cool to be smart. You know what I mean? So Mm. I played ball and I found out there were these programs. I ended up joining robotics programs and stuff like that. We were lucky to have some things like that. I knew I was going to play basketball, but just for me to experience. Right. And I mean, I grew up in a town called Hutchins. And so- my thing was, it was nothing else to do. Mm. My grandma lived 100 yards to the left. Real life was her TV. She would look out. I had them grandmas that look out the window all day. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I had that grandma. <laughs> yeah. And then across the street to the front of us was nothing but wooded areas. So there was nothing to do. So I had to get into my imagination, got into movies, you know, just those other extracurricular things just to keep my mind going, you know? Right. I hear you. So when you do that, How do the folks who are on the team with you, maybe your coaches, how are they reacting when you are doing, (laughs) you know, robotics in your spare time? Yeah, I didn't tell them. They didn't know. I'm I'm not joking when I tell you they did not know. The way that uh, it worked, we only had two gyms. And so we had five teams, two girls teams 
and three boys teams. And so we were varsity. So we would practice after our freshman and JV team. So we didn't start practice till like 530 mm. classes out at like 345. And then we didn't practice till 530. You know, that's a lot of time to get in trouble, especially in the neighborhood, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I wasn't going to leave campus because that's just asking, you know, excuse my French for an ass whooping. So, yeah, I would uh, stay on campus. And then I found out like my math teacher told me about it. You know, they, they wanted to compete in state and they had this whole master plan of how to do it. And then they found out that I knew how to do AutoCAD because my dad did it. That was his profession yeah, at the time. My dad was and a draftsman, actually. There you go. He used AutoCAD for plumbing engineering. So he would draw the uh, blueprints, the specs and all those things for buildings going up, houses going up, the whole plumbing system. So AutoCAD is pretty much like if you've ever seen schematics, you know, that aerial view, 2D view of a building that's where they would use AutoCAD in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's free time. My dad drew me like the Starship Enterprise or and all kinds of different things from my childhood. So you guys watch Star Trek too? Oh, bro. Every episode. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So I was raised around AutoCAD. So it's like, you know, I went to work a lot with my dad. You know, I don't think it was bring your kid to work day either, you know, but watching him do AutoCAD. So I always knew how to do it. And then so they were like, yo, you got to be on the team. And at first I was like, nah, I was very apprehensive. Like, are you serious? They're going to kill me, man, if they find out I'm at the Robotics Club. (laughs) But it was kind of like a fun thing to do, man. It was a different experience. You find out who's talented. And for me, that like opened my eyes because uh, it was even this dude named Purvis. Gold grills in his mouth. That was our like mechanic. He soldered the cables and yeah. stuff. And it's like, yo, Purvis, yo, what are you doing in here? You know, you find out who's smart and who's able to apply that brain. So I always thought that was very fascinating. And I always just, you know, loved talking about it and I always carried it with me. But at that time, I was a jock. Don't get me wrong. I was a jock with the letter jacket. I was big man on campus, right? Right, right. So those are the reasons I couldn't expose my true identity. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. One of the things also I like about this particular chapter in the book is that you found applying that book learning, for lack of a better term, is helpful in what you're doing on the court. Oh, yeah. How was that helpful? I have found so much information in books just that aided me in how to interpret what was going on in these tough times that I was dealing with at the time or me trying to reach this goal and we're in it. You know, the NBA season is long and grueling. It's a marathon. And so there are pockets of times where you're unsure, where you're, you know, down, where you're up. It's just this whole crazy roller coaster ride every season, especially if you're trying to compete for a championship. And so during these times, I relied heavily on books. And sometimes it would just be, hey, I need an adventure book right now just to get my mind off of this. But the more I found myself trying to be successful, I found myself looking for tools to use to be able to handle these situations that I know are coming. And they helped me out a lot. You know, I can't even tell you how many times I've read something in a book and it's, oh, oh, <laughs> I got it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's about keeping your mind active, I would imagine, right? Oh, yeah. And that's and that's one of the best parts, too. I would read all the way up until right before the game, right before coach comes in and, and talk. I was like my piece because the games are chaotic. It's 20,000 fans. We're about to get booed all day. 
<laughs> it's media everywhere. We're on top of the world. We're tight roping on the moon, you know. But this time right now, I'm in this book. I'm reading my book. I got one more chapter, you know what I mean? And and then we can get to business. Right. But that always kept my mind active and kept it prepared and, and allowed the job that I need to do that particular evening. I know we're going to do physical strenuous activity in 30 minutes, but right now I'm, I'm in this book. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading your book while the NBA finals were going on. And I was thinking about how you might be viewing it through your lens, having mm-hmm. won the titles, having won a gold medal, having just been put into the basketball hall of fame. I mean, <laughs> you are watching a game that is evolving. Yeah. What are your thoughts about, you know, what you saw Fantastic playoffs. Fantastic. From top to bottom, from first round to the last round, you know, so many good games. I always just want to see guys competing and leaving it out there on the court. I don't really get caught up in who I want to win and all that stuff unless I have like a friend. But then again, he might be playing the heat. Right. So then it's like, damn. You know what I mean? (laughs) So those old rivalries are still kicking. Yeah, you know, that'll be the thing. You'll be like, oh, bronze in the final. Oh, man, against. Oh, I can't. So, you know, (laughs) I've learned to stay neutral. They were, I mean, they were phenomenal. I think everybody really, truly did see the heart of a champion with uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo's performance. When he got hurt against Atlanta, I thought he was done. I said it on TV and everything. I said, yo, he's done. There's no way he can come back from that. And not only did he come back from that, he was the finals MVP. So I I know how hard it is to accomplish those goals. And because at that time, you're watching the two best teams in the world play on center stage. And so the performances, I want to see how guys handle things when it's not going okay and to watch the chess match or you know who's going to rise to the occasion this evening because they played like crap last night you know what I mean (laughs) and I've been there you know just playing like total just like oh my god I'm we're gonna lose this finals and I'm the reason why Mm. you know I've gone through that many times and you have to come back from that and beat it I mean, let's just go there to that first finals that y'all had with the Mavericks, Miami versus Dallas. First of all, you're playing your hometown team. I wonder if there's any emotions with that. But also, what did you feel like you did to help lose the finals? Well, I mean, the tough part about that is, you know, that it's a collective effort and you know that there's always more that everybody could have done. But it's still that thought like, man, what could we have done better? And then you look at film. And you look at the scary movie over and over and over and just say, man, I could have done better. And and you use it as fuel, right? I mean, you're not going to win every time you get out there. Mm-hmm. With playing Dallas, it, it stung so bad for me because, yeah, it was my hometown. It sucks to be in your hometown in this new place. And people don't even know you're from there. You know, you're just the enemy. Even then, like after the season, you know, you see everything on Facebook and I was watching people that I went to school with rocking Dallas Mavericks jerseys. And it's like, yo, now that they're the champs, everybody's Mavericks fans. This is bull. And like, yeah, I played with you, bro. I'm with the, you know what I mean? But that's neither here nor there. Right. right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just right. These are things that I see. Yeah. And one of the toughest things were, were just that season for us was just so tough. 
the way we were perceived, like genuine dislike. And it, it was just a weird place to be. At forward in his eighth season from Georgia Tech, number one, Chris Bosch. And so, yeah. at the very least, we could win this dumb NBA championship, right? Ugh. <laughs> and this would be just to rub it in everybody's face. You know what I mean? And and that's not the way to be. That's not the right way to approach things. And and then even that, we lost. We took our eyes off the prize. Mentally, we let other things get inside our head that shouldn't have been there as opposed to just playing the game, you know? And I still – I haven't right. watched the series in years, but we played terribly. It's just like – Golly, everybody was off. I'm sure, you know, the parking guys outside Valet and the cars was off. The popcorn lady, she was probably off. I was off. You know, it was just – and when you get there for so long, you play 100 games, you go through all this stuff, and you get there and you lose. I mean, it, it uh, hurts tremendously, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, conversely, as a fan, <laughs> through my lens, I'm sitting there like, okay, I'm still hurt because <laughs> I'm a Cleveland fan. And LeBron left and left in a very public way. And so I'm going to root against these dudes because I'm in my feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and honestly, looking back on it, though, first of all, having not experienced the championship in my city, like this was as good as I was going to You know, like, <laughs> if this dude who left my city is going to lose and, I, you know, and I had nothing to do with y'all personally. But it just was all about feelings. And that's so crazy. Yeah. It's sports. Nah. It's sports. Yeah, it's sports, man. It's crazy. But looking back on it, man, it's like, damn, that's a really negative place to experience something that's supposed to be a leisure activity. Right. Something that's supposed to bring you joy. For sure. Uh, <laughs> I think we all look back at that time. And it was a lot to take in from all of us. And and I know how th- those feelings were intentionally put in everybody's head, right, through the narrative in the media, you know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. I mean, the villainization. Yeah, they beat the dead horse and we walked right into it. Don't get me wrong. They filmed the fun. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that the pyrotechnics at that first event didn't help y'all. <laughs> ah, I mean, it didn't help. <laughs> but, you know, we were in the crazy part about that was we're going for the ride. It's like they're just saying, OK, yeah, go this way. OK, go this way. All right. You guys gonna come out the stage. OK, go. And it's like, yo, this is crazy. And and we're just going along with the flow, not even <laughs> thinking about being like, hey, man, this is probably being filmed. We should probably like take it with some humility. You know, we'll watch what we say. It was just everybody was so happy. We, nobody had ever seen anything like it. Totally caught up in the moment in the bubble of Miami. Mm-hmm. And it was so much fun. And then after the dust settles, yeah, it's like, oh, oh, yeah, you forget you're a basketball player. Like, transcended the feeling of being a basketball player for those few minutes, you know, and then you come back down and say, oh, they didn't like that. Right. Because I've mentioned that playing in Toronto for those seven years was a different kind of NBA experience. Very much so. <laughs> Compared to. All of a sudden, this now your first time you're putting on that uniform is on stage and there's fire around you. And yeah, 
everyone's expecting championships. Everyone's expecting a dynasty. You, uh, yeah, you assume that caring means positivity, <laughs> and that's not necessarily <laughs> true. <laughs> this isn't a mother's care we're talking about. You yes. know what I mean? This is sports, you know, and we forgot that for a minute. The and, haters care. <laughs> yeah, you know how it is. And I'm like, oh, this is, you know, I want to be a champion. This is what Mike and Kobe went through. Ah, mm-hmm. okay. Boy, this is crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then, you, I mean, I'm so glad that Pat Riley highlighted this in your forward those plays that you made in game six the next season against the Spurs to help secure that game that key game where Spurs were on the verge of taking y'all out season on the line for the Miami Heat they're in a scenario they've already been once in these playoffs against Indiana twice last year against Boston all three you get that rebound and you see Ray in the corner yeah that particular play you know just broke down I just remember those ropes coming out and having to deal with, uh-oh, you know, that trauma from last time you lose comes out and it's real and it's embarrassing. And this can be if there's 10 people there or 10,000 or 100,000. There's always this collective, oh, yeah. you know, and it's like a morbid energy that just shifts the moment when you know you're going to lose mm-hmm. in a big game. I've lost plenty of them. And when you say ropes, you're in Miami and the ropes are coming out thinking like, OK, this the championship presentation is about to happen. Yeah, they about to bring the stage out and, and it's not for us. <laughs> <laughs> These ropes are to keep people back <laughs> and and we didn't win. So it'll be to keep us back and my family, you know, so. And I don't like these security people being so close to Duncan as he's trying to inbound. And Kenny Mauer clearing it out. They're there in case soon as the finals end. What do you think? People are going to rush the floor if you're San Antonio? Fans in Miami? Get them off the floor. Bosh will sit down. I looked at my wife and she, you know, usually in that time you try to look at your family and friends for some sympathy. Like those sympathy looks like, it's okay. Yeah. You know, she wasn't looking at me. And so she was just standing up clapping. I was like, oh, man. And that got me right back into it. And so we're like, hey, hey, let's just play it out. That particular play happened. Then, you know, we went to overtime and it was just a tough battle, grueling experience. I didn't want to play basketball anymore. I was just psychologically, mentally frazzled, physically frazzled, but we had to win the game. And so I was just going for it. Sometimes you just got to go for it. You can't really put reasoning behind (laughs) it. (laughs) You just have to know and you just have to read and react. And I was able uh, to make a play on the ball. James catches, puts up a three, won't go, rebound Bosch, back out to Allen, his three-pointer, bang, tie game with five seconds remaining. Chris Bosch with a huge offensive rebound. And then I just wanted to get out of there after that, just go home and just, you know, get in my bed and and figure out what the hell just happened. (laughs) Well, I I imagine this is almost a little bit of an out-of-body experience because there's so much muscle memory, so much practice, so much of all the things that you put into the game up to that point that just exhibits itself at exactly the right moment. And that's why, you know, you have to do things a million times over and over and over. I experienced that sensation where it's slow, like time literally slowed down. Even now, if I look back at the play, it's like, God, I still can't believe that happened that quick. It felt so slow. And really, just for the rest of the evening, it was kind of out of it was out of body trying to come back in the body. Totally. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, 
I watched basketball my whole life. I'm a basketball historian. Do you realize what just happened? That never happens. That never happens. We have to win. We're destined to win. You know, this is, <laughs> <laughs> these are the things going through my mind, you know, the, the rest right. of the night. <laughs> so that was your second NBA championship. The first one, of course, coming against Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Then the next year, you come up short against San Antonio again. Yeah. What was that feeling like? Man, it hurts. Anytime you get so far, um, it hurts. But as a team, we were fried. We were tired. Mm. Uh, we had been doing this act for four years straight. The Spurs were better. They were the better team, obviously. That sucks to know that. <laughs> to get to the finals to be like, man, they are really good, you know? Right. And they had the eye of the tiger. They they had it that year. No doubt about it. That's the best team I've ever played. Wow. By far. It was just the way, the style, their hunger, and we we just didn't have it. You know, it was just the ending of a long, disappointing season, and yeah, we were mentally taxed. We had gone as far as we could go, and we we were hurt, we were injured, we just weren't a hundred percent. Not even you're never a hundred percent, but we weren't even close. You know what I mean? was a rough year for Chris Bosh. I mean, what was it like to be a young, fit all-star to suddenly find yourself hospitalized and even facing retirement in your early 30s? That's coming up after a short break. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., Support for the gray area comes from Burrow. Getting the right furniture for your place can be really annoying. At this point in my life, I've probably gone through maybe three sets of outdoor deck furniture, and it's a pain in the ass for a different reason every single time. It doesn't look like it did in the pictures, the assembly isn't what they said it was, or it's just not as advertised for whatever reason. Thankfully, Burrow is the furniture company that wants to make it all a little easier. Last year, Burrow introduced their outdoor line, and this spring they're adding to it with their Dunes line, offering new seating, dining, and lounger options designed for luxury, comfort, and durability. Burrow furniture is easy to put together and take apart, so you can move or store it as needed. And it ships straight to your door for free. Gray Area listeners can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash box. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash box for 15% off. Borough.com slash box. I think about you re-signing. You mentioned LeBron coming back home to sign with the Cavs in 2014. And you re-signed with the Heat that same summer. Yeah. And then, of course, you play in the All-Star game in 2015. And the blood clot shows up in your lungs. Well, how did that transpire? Oh, I mean, you know, I had shortness of breath. I implore anybody, if you have shortness of breath, uh, that's a telltale sign. Please get checked out. Don't even think about it. Just go mm-hmm. to the ER. Yeah. Amen. 
those things start happening. I start getting, you know, debilitating sensations in my uh, chest area. And it got so bad, so severe to where I said, yo, I got to go to the hospital. And I was playing games, played the all-star game. And it, it just got so bad. I said, yo, I got to go to the hospital. And, you know, they, they admitted me. And then when I thought I was getting out a few days later, they said, oh, we got to do surgery. You have to stay. Right. So I was in the hospital about, yeah, about right around two weeks. Two weeks is a, that's not a short stay. It's a long time. Yeah. It's not a short stay by any means, man. It sucked. I have so much respect and compassion for people that have to go to the hospital. Oh, it's a tough place uh, to be, to recover. Did you think about that at all when you see everything that's going on this last year, a year and change? You know, people having to go to the hospital a lot. Did any of that come back for you? A little bit. I mean, anytime I go in there, yeah, it comes back. It's, it's a place you definitely don't want to be. You know, I was laid up with tubes in my chest for more than a week and, the pain, the thoughts, the debilitating thoughts, you pretty much being a shell of yourself. It's like, man, I feel for the people who have to go through that, especially with the pandemic. I had a buddy of mine who was in the hospital. He said he was in there for about two weeks as well. And it's like, golly. And, you know, nobody can come in there. You can't get any friends and family. Oh, my goodness. My heart goes out to those people. You mentioned friends and family, and I'm thinking about what kind of support they must have been for you going through not just this first blood clot in your lungs, but the one in your leg. Yeah. Next season and going forth until essentially you were forced to end your career prematurely. It was tough. <laughs> what kind of support, you know, from family and friends helped keep you um you know, keep you going. It was all my family, uh, my immediate family in my house. They get all the credit. My children. My wife, uh, we had just had our twin boys. And the tough part about the second time was I was in the best shape of my life. I'm getting back to a point. I'm, I made it from this debilitating hospital to being an all-star again. And I think we can win a championship. And then just one day they're like, yeah, no, you can't play. So just psychologically for me, that was very tough to deal with. But my sons were born. They had just came to the world. And my wife loves to remind people, but we have four kids under four. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, we were in the weeds, man. So Yeah, I was going to say, someone needed an assist. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? She needed a big-time assist. And so I pretty much jumped right into that. It was going right from being at All-Star Weekend in the playoffs to – carpooling it, you know, and walking my son into class every day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You structure your book like like a series of lessons. And I thought about you coming from a family of educators. You know, as I was reading, I'm like, he's teaching, you know. Trying to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did the teachers in your family, how did they respond? And why did you feel like this is the way to go? Well, I... I write that with them in mind. So my aunts, they're retired teachers, and one is a retired police officer. <laughs> so any time as we were growing up, they would always compliment me on academics, ask me about things, give me books to read. And in particular, one of my aunts is an English teacher. Uh -huh. And that's just a part of our family. I knew that they would be reading these words. They're going to take these words in, and they're going to pass on these words. So. I keep those things in the back of my mind as we were going through this project, you know, so with the lessons and things like that, I know that they're going to 
give these books to young kids. And I wanted to actually really impress them as well, right? Show them that, hey, this is going to be a good book along with everybody else. But, you know, you know who's watching. If, if you're blessed enough to know who's watching and reading, you want to make sure that period, you know, is in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, with an English teacher, I didn't have that. My mom's a, an educator. And so, yeah, no, the T's will be crossed. The I's will be dotted and the punctuation will be in the right place. And when you do the audio book, you got to enunciate. <laughs> yeah, you got to enunciate. And, and just to be thoughtful as well in the whole idea, you know, the roundness of the book, making sure it stays on point, having lessons uh, that pretty much transcend just one thing. These are lessons that you can take and apply to anything that you have going on in your life. You know, we really sat down and thought these things out. I know in terms of lessons, I know some of the things that you are doing right now. I know you're you're into music. You have a single out. Apparently, I've heard from a, a little birdie that you are a new voting member for the Grammys. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's a some process. <laughs> I was about to say, but I mean, you have you are exploring different things. The thing, honestly, that fascinates me, Chris, is that you've just been named a Hall of Famer, and yeah. you have been, you know, on the mountaintop in a lot of different ways. Gold medalist, two-time yeah. NBA champion, all-star an innumerable number of times, and you are still saying, like, look, I got to keep exploring. I got to keep learning. What kind of classes are you taking? What kind of ways are you exploring? Uh, to, uh, you know, grow your mind now. Oh, my goodness. I'm, of course, uh, continuing music. Music is such a great thing. I paint and draw. So I'm kind of like you remember how I was telling you I was a nerd. I'm pretty much picking up where I left off in 2000, 2001 mm. and continuing those passions. One of the things that's really interesting right now, I'm into photography right now. Oh, okay. And that's a good one. Yeah, that's been my summer thing. It's here to stay, too. I, I love photography. It's pretty cool. But, yeah, I'm, I'm doing that along with the other <laughs> the other <laughs> mediums. They kind of they start colliding. And that's doing photography has helped my music and helped my painting and, you know, helped me understand uh, certain things. And I just love doing it. Now, of course, you got a, a big homework assignment for the summer, which is writing your Hall of Fame speech. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are you thinking about saying? You know, the tough part with that is, and we've been working on the speech for a few weeks now. I never like to be flat-footed. I wanted to make sure that I tell a story. I want that perfect balance of giving you the things that you would assume me to tell you. But then again, I want people to learn things about me as well. And I want to make sure that we're paying homage to the whole sport, right? It's the Basketball Hall of Fame. I've been playing basketball my whole life. Um, you know, it'll be like a short education also. I, I see it as a dissertation almost. Um, that's how serious I'm taking it. I want people to feel what I'm saying. I want it to be unique and different without going too crazy. But I want people to understand it. You know, that's the challenge, right? I've looked at all uh, some of the great speakers, uh, watching Barack speak, uh, reading Frederick Douglass, listening to Malcolm X, you know, and I know it could be controversial sometimes, but more so delivery, pace, things like that, you know, and of course, Martin Luther King and really just, you know, even Churchill and the greatest speeches in the in, in that have ever been spoken. Yeah, I want it to be really good. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you have learned in all of this reading that you've been doing, maybe since you've written the book, I feel like maybe you'd like to add to it, maybe in like you know, a future edition, because it feels like the purpose behind the book seems evident. 
you are taking this pulpit, this platform that you have and reaching down to young people who had the same kinds of confusions and, and doubts. Honestly, one of the cool things about the book, man, is that I love that, you know, there may be a kid who reads it and decides, you know what? I don't like basketball enough, you know, and that's OK. Yeah, <laughs> and that's OK. <laughs> but I love this enough. But you know what? Like that is the book's intent, right? It is designed to help. Um, once upon a time when I was a kid, 12, 13 years old, even before that, the amount of free camps that I went to growing up, the coaches that even the ones like I had someone tell me before, like, I don't want anything from you. Mm. And they're taking me and feeding me and giving me a ride to the gym and back home. Those were the moments that I really, really think about. And, and I've gotten those moments from books as well. And although I can't, <laughs> I have to give my own. I have a lot of kids, right? Those are, those are a lot of rides right there. <laughs> but one thing I can do is like have these words that they can pick apart. And it's intended for that. I kept that in mind. Like a lot of people say, you writing to your younger self. I, I You know, that's a part of it. But I kind of wanted to have people feel like I'm writing it to them. Right. That's why you know, we had the letter form as well, because it's from me to you. I want them to get that message. And yeah, I want you to want more after the story's done. Cause you know, I, I hate it when you go to the movie and it's like, ah, it's over. Woo! <laughs> Thank goodness. I don't want people to have that feeling. I want them to consume it and be like, oh, wow. And it be the start of something as opposed to the ending. Yeah. I mean, in, in that way, I think, you know, you have the hope of every writer, you know, that, Someone can read what we put on the page and not simply say, OK, you know, that's something I'm just going to take in and believe like gospel. No, we want you to think critically and take what's on the page and apply it or have questions about it or do research. About yeah. It, you know, I definitely want this to be the start of, of a conversation. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm very aware these words are yours now. You bought the book. <laughs> you know, even if you downloaded it, well, hey, you downloaded the book, shoot, do something with it, yeah. you know, do because this is what I did. I, I made the NBA and going into the Hall of Fame, like I trip out every time I think about it, you know, so I want someone to get inspiration from these words to do great things as well. I mean, I imagine your kids are old enough to really digest what's happened, what this, this honor that you've been given and then to read this book, to be frank. Do what do you hope they get from this book? What do you hope that they get from this moment in your life? You know, that is always so interesting. I'm dad. I'm just dad with them. Yeah. You know, yeah. and there's a certain role that the things you're you're not the cool one. You know, up to a certain extent. <laughs> <laughs> is there a place where you're a Hall of Famer Chris Bosch? <laughs> You know what I mean? And and they're used to it, but and they're still figuring things out. Like, oh, well, Daddy, what's the Hall of Fame? Okay, so, but what did you do? Because they have very short bits and mem memories from it. And I show my son, because he was just born when we won the first championship. And I show him all the time, like, look. And then, you know, we just went to go see Space Jam. And I'm like, yo, let's go see Uncle LeBron. Let's go. You know, we... <laughs> They remember bits and pieces and they know that I used to play and they've even seen some old highlights and games and stuff like that. So they totally understand. It's just as it pertains to me. I think they feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, he used to play in the NBA, but I've always because I was done playing so early and I'm lucky to be able to say this. I was always home. So 
they have a different experience with it. But I think as time goes on, you know, I don't want to shove it down their throat. I will definitely make it a required reading um, the closer we get to middle school. <laughs> and they've read a couple of things, but I've given them all a copy. And I, and I just want them to, you know, take it in on their time. Whenever they want to read it, they can read it. Yeah. But one of the things I wanted to ask you also is what did you learn? Is there any one lesson maybe you learned either writing the book or, you know, frankly, going over it after you'd already written it? Yeah, going through my own things and just being patient. I learned patience in this process. It was a three year process. If it was up to me, it would have been one year process. <laughs> but that's not what it took. It took three years. Um, it took dedication. It took hard work. And it taught me to be patient with that process. Before I was antsy, I was always like, we got to get going now. We got to win today and, and, and all of those things, as opposed to taking that long, drawn out daily approach. The last things I talked about with Kobe about was just how you have to learn to love the process. That's where the magic is. That's where great things happen for you because you're going to go through the good, the bad, and everything in between. But coming back daily, day after day, doing the process, enjoying that, enjoying editing that paper, enjoying having that PR call because this is about the book launch, enjoying another four chapters to read, and chopping that down to two and building it back up to four, enjoying just trying to get down those thoughts of what I'm trying to say and what teamwork means to me and what passion and perseverance means to me. Those were the things that I've learned to kind of really just enjoy the process in, and, and especially with my kids, because I have young children. I have five young children. Being okay with putting the pen down, closing the laptop and saying, yo, daddy, let me show you this, okay? Come on, show me working on being fully present, you know, that everyday challenge. That's what I've learned through this process. And this was me trying this before COVID happened. You know what I mean? So, right, right. you know, we all had to be like, oh, okay, yeah, everybody sits still. How about that? As a player, Chris Bosch was as ferocious and as dominant as anyone on both ends of the court. But he's also been incredibly open when speaking about the pressures athletes face. We'll hear what Chris thinks of the increasing number of athletes speaking out about the importance of mental health after one last break. Support for the gray area comes from Greenlight. If you're a parent of teenagers, you might be starting conversations about money management and financial literacy. So often, the best way to learn is to do. But when it comes to money, there can be real consequences to learning the hard way. That's where Greenlight comes in. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their spending and saving. And kids and teens can build money confidence and lifelong financial skills. My kid is way too young to talk money with, thank God, but I have a colleague here at Vox that uses Greenlight with his boys, and he loves it. If you want to help your kids learn about money, consider Greenlight. It's a convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and for families to navigate this stuff together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash gray area. 
That's greenlight.com slash gray area to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash gray area. There are a million bad ways to start your morning off. The no coffee traffic jam, the soggy morning jog, the why is the dog taking so long? Just go already walk. But you can unleash your ideal day with a perfect shower using Method hair care products. Designed with high-quality ingredients, Method's new range of shampoos and conditioners will give your hair undeniable softness and shine. And hey, if you're a night shower kind of person, that's great too. Try pure peace infused with peony, rose water, and quinoa protein. Or Simply Nourish, crafted with coconut, rice milk, and shea butter. Or Daily Zen, made with cucumber, seaweed, and green tea. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Shop methodproducts.com. You've spoken quite frankly and openly about the mental health of athletes. And honestly, it's been great to see someone like you, a champion, be so vulnerable about that kind of stuff. Given what we've seen just this summer, I mean, with Naomi Osaka, with Simone Biles, what runs to your mind as you see these women who are, and men, I mean, there's, of course, Kevin Love and others in the NBA who are still active, see these folks who are at the top of their game, feel the need to step back? I mean, it's on so many levels. I always applaud someone for doing that. If you don't feel right, don't play. (laughs) <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. And this is coming from somebody who should have probably taken that into consideration more than a few times. I think it raises the question with definitely brings up a why. And I definitely do think like, man, OK, there's something here. Right. And especially, you know, our for our black female athletes, you know, and I know Naomi is Japanese as well, but. It's raising the question for me, like, okay, why? Because you don't train to get to the Olympics just to withdraw. You don't train to get the Wimbledon or the French Open and say, ah, you know, I'll get them next year. No, no, no. You you train all your life to compete in those things. So the decisions that they're making are so heavy because as an athlete, that's what we do. So it's not about the balance beam or it's not about her serve. It's about something totally different. Um, And I think the conversation has to continue. And yeah, there is a mode to, boy, having to have that mental strength or have tools to get through times when you're in front of the world. And, And, you know, that's one of the parts that I don't understand all the way because I wasn't the media, the social media thing. Ooh, man, it's changed. You know, it's different. And so dealing with that and granted, it's cool at first say, man, anybody can talk to you. But after a while... When you're on that pedestal, you'd be surprised at the negativity that comes with it. And you didn't even do anything. And, you know, the thing about it is it's always going to be there, though. This is, it's going to be something to, to get over. I don't want people to you got to know the difference between, OK, not feeling it. And it's hard. <laughs> you know, I think that'll be a balance. But yeah, this definitely seems like something that goes beyond yeah, you know, I'm not really up to it. This is some new stuff. Yeah, for sure, right? Because, I mean, you know, like, man, what in the world? What's happening? And I know I have my experience and my stories and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you're isolated. You can't go out somewhere like you want to. You can't 
like meet a regular person on the street and just have a relationship. That happens maybe once in a blue moon. But what's the first thing people are going to say? Oh, wow, you're such and such. And then it kind of, I mean, even in my experience, when I was like retired, people say, oh, yeah, it's cool. Don't worry. Like people actually told me that. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Man, I'm 31 years old. I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. You know what I mean? Like you're telling me, yeah, kick up on the beach, man. You're retired, man. It's all good. What do you mean? I can't even play. Money and basketball have been taken out of the equation. It was never about the money. Yeah. You know what I mean? What makes you think money would make just, oh, yeah, everything okay anyway? You know, it's a reason they say money can't buy happiness. And, and you know, I, that was with my own, you know, kind of mental fatigue dealing with the perception of people. I had to discover who I was. All I did was ever play basketball, mm-hmm. you know, so. What have you discovered about yourself? Who is the guy that you've gotten to know? Oh, man. I mean, I'm just pretty cool, man. I just <laughs> <laughs> I like to work hard. I like to have a goal. I like to go after it full heartedly. But. I want an ecosystem. I want family. I want friends. I want to have some good food, some good laughs. You know, I'm a Bosch. You come to find out we're all like that. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, yeah, this is how it's got to be. That's who I am. And, 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 and you know what? I'm still learning every day. I'm still learning who I am through my kids, what kind of father I am. Like, man, okay, how am I going to deal with this situation today? What am I going to do as a leader today? It's always easy to say, oh, man, I'm standing up on the stage telling kids can you can do it. But, hey, I feel crappy today and my kid wants a hug. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what are you going <laughs> to yeah. do now? You know, so I always try to just do the daily work and meet those goals. Lead by example, you know, because mm. let me give somebody the experiences, in particular my family and friends. Let me give the experience that they would want for me every day, you know, mm-hmm. and that's to be loved care for, know that it'd be all right. And if you got a problem, I got you back. A couple last quick questions. You know, usually when folks end up retiring, it seems like they end up in the land of player comparisons. And, (laughs) you know, like I know one of the people you were compared with was KG, Kevin Garnett. Mm -hmm. Um, And I see people getting compared to you now, uh, specifically Evan Mobley. He's going to be a top three pick, it looks like. Yeah, Um, for sure. You know, possibly to my hometown Cavaliers. What does it make you feel like being on the other side of that, uh, seeing people compared to you? Comparisons are always weird, man, Um, especially when they start happening to you. And I get it because but when it starts happening to you, it's yeah, it's just I guess that's life, man. You know, you just (laughs) you just move on. It's like, you know, some other kid like, oh, I watched you. I remember somebody I had a grown man tell me, oh, I watched you when I was a kid. I said, dude, come on, bro. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're a grown man <laughs> you know what I mean you weren't a kid then you yeah, might have wanted you know, to be like yeah. yeah man it's crazy to even think about that I've watched Evan play I, I see how there could be some comparisons and I like his game I mean I love the fact that he blocks shots and finishes that's what I love to see in young young fellas but I do yeah I had to come to the realization and understand that yeah, these kids were watching you guys play. They were watching you play. You have inspired, hopefully, a generation of uh, of talent. And that was always the goal. I just had more work to do in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I still wanted to be playing at this age. I've been retired for almost six years. It, it's, it's just a different place to be, but 
I, I love where the game is going. I love seeing the young guys. I love the fact, I mean, come on, they're about to get drafted. A part of my heart is like heavy for them because they're entering a world that they don't even understand. Mm -hmm. But with that said, man, man, you're accomplishing your dreams, you know, and all the work that you've put in and, and, and having that blank page to paint whatever you want with it. I mean, that's special. And so I hope they just take it, you know, with humility and get out there and just do their thing, make their family proud, but most importantly, make themselves proud. Indeed. Um, I want people to hear this too. That was like the first thing that I realized after winning a championship. It was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Hey, there's a parade. And man, there, man, you even get the champagne after the game. And that's so cool. But you go home after. Eventually, eventually, all the confetti gets swept away. Everybody goes home. Summer happens. If we're lucky, We'll have another season. Boom. Let's go at it again. You know what I mean? And, right, right. And what you've done is gone and it's in the books. But Kobe told me this too. Don't ever think that winning a championship will fulfill you. Don't think that this success that you have in your mind will be the ultimate pinnacle. And you'd be like, okay, now I'll finally be a good person. Or only if I had that thing, man, I would. And you work and work. And when you get it, don't expect that thing to be like oh and it's just this elixir that cures everything that's not necessarily so it's a daily practice cool hey win a championship oh man take it don't get me wrong take it win it <laughs> right but do it for you do it as a challenge but the slate is always wiped clean and and we always start fresh again you know indeed we do chris bosh i really appreciate you taking the time brother you know, keep this work going with your book. This is going to be important for a lot of people, I feel. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. I really do appreciate being here, man. Vox Conversations is produced by Eric Janikas. Our editor is Amy Drostovska. Paul Robert Mouncey mixed and mastered this episode. Our theme music was dreamed up by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, and Amber Hall is the Deputy Editorial Director of Vox Talk. If you like the show, please let us know. If there's room for improvement, we want to hear that too. We're curious to know what you think, what you want more of, and what we can improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, please send us your thoughts at voxconversations at vox.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, please share it with your friends, your family, and everyone who you think might benefit from it. And please be sure to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And come back next week for a brand new episode of Vox Conversations. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen.